0: Thank you, Jenny. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's awesome to see how um, our relationship with the Lord and our faith, it's not just, I mean, it's not just something that uh, impacts us at a faith level, but it impacts us in the places where we live life, at school, at work, in our identity, and in, in all of uh, the places, the things that matter to us, um, the gospel does not, uh, is not silent about, and it applies itself and applies its truth to uh, wherever we are, and so I want to encourage you. Uh, if you if you resonated with any of that, um, talk to Jenny about it, and talk to, um, yeah, explore and, and ask questions, and see uh, what the Lord might uh, might have to say to uh, to you through her. This week, I <clears throat> this week I, I uh, got a phone call from from one of our folks here, and uh, you know typically we, we talk maybe every other week or so, and and when he calls, it's usually. Uh, he's one of the most upbeat, uh, chipper, happy, optimistic people uh, in, our, in our church. And so uh, I'll always say, hey, how you doing? And, and he'll always be like, oh, I'm doing so great. Like, God is blessing me. His favors all on my life. And, and I can't complain about anything. And my life is so blessed. Uh, but this week, it was a little bit different. It actually was a lot different. So I, I answered the phone. I said, how's it going? And um, after like a one second pause, he said, it's not going so well. Like things are not going so great. And um, I know that you know it was very emotional um, as he talked about how uh, one of his closest friends uh, had passed away, that he had uh, he had taken his own life, and uh it, it was just it 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 wrecked him and it was shaking him up, and the thing that was most just pressing and weighing on his heart was. Man, I, you know, I, I, he, he knew that I had, I had changed, I'd given my life to the Lord, but I don't think he, he knew the Lord, and I wish that I had done, I wish I could have done more, I wish I could have done more so that I could know that he's going to be in heaven, so I could know that he's going to be there uh, when I get there, that, that he's going to be there. I think this is a regret that uh, most of us have had at least once, if not many times in life. Whenever uh, someone passes away, immediately as a believer, the questions that begin to come to mind, the first thing is always, did they know Jesus? Where are they going to spend their eternity? And the Bible, through the promises of God that God gives to us, he told us in Genesis 3 at the very beginning that I'm going to promise a Savior. Today I want to talk about how we can know, like how we can know that not only is there salvation available, but that we can have salvation. The promise I want to look at today is God's promise that says, I will save you. And I want to look at the conditions. What does that mean? So that none of us get to the place where we say, I wish that I had done more, but I could not because I did not know what I was supposed to say, or more importantly, I Hope that it never gets to the place where you become the person of which it was said. I don't know if they ever put their trust in Christ. So today I want to make it as clear as I can. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. There's a lot of different places that we could go to articulate a gospel summary. John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. A lot of different places. But today I want to just... Uh, camp out on at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. I want to talk about this simple question. What is the faith that saves? What is saving faith? Because we can easily throw around this word faith or belief. I believe that uh, tomorrow it's going to be really nice outside. That's, you know, that's a certain kind of belief. That's a certain kind of faith. I believe that I'm never going to get married. Maybe we say that. That's a certain, a different kind of belief. But we throw that kind of word belief and faith around. But what is the faith that saves us? The faith that the Bible talks about... <clears throat> that allows us to appropriate this promise that God sent forth a Savior? What's the faith that allows us to say, yeah, I know that that Savior is not just for everybody, but it's for me as well? Romans chapter 10, we're going to read verses 9 through 13. The Apostle Paul's writing a great gospel treatise, and we pick up in chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture said, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is God's word. My, my hope, my prayer, very simple, is that if you have not yet called on the name of the Lord, that today you would do so. And if you choose not to, that you would know what it takes and what it means to believe in him. And if you have already done so, that you would understand and hearing and understanding, be able to take this and articulate to other people the message of the gospel and the hope that Jesus Christ alone can give to those who put their trust in Him. So, what does this look like? A uh, few years back in the '80s, actually, there was an, it, it was in the '80s, and then it, it came. A reboot was done in like the '2000s, which was a little bit tragic because the original commercials were great. Uh, the commercial. And it had a jingle at the beginning, and it said something like this. This is what it sounded like. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Good. So the question was, what would you do for a Klondike bar? They would ask these people. I mean, I I saw this one uh, man on the street interview guy. was it, It was in the middle of a city. looked like downtown, midtown, wherever it was in the city. Guy dressed up in a suit. And the interviewer said, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And he said, would you sing, I'm a little teapot? <laughs> I'm a little teapot, short and stout, right? Would you sing that? He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I look at me, I'm all dressed. He's like, and then he passes the Klondike bar in front of him. He's like, ah, uh, that's all I have to Is that all I have to do? I just have to sing, I'm a little teapot? Like, yeah, that's all you have to do. So he like looks around, make sure none of his coworkers, his boss isn't around. And then he sings, I'm a little teapot, short and stout. And then he Says, I did it, I did it, can I get my Klondike? And he gets a Klondike bar and he goes back to work happy. There's other ones where it says, Would you cluck like a chicken? Would you act like a monkey? And it's really, uh, when I was a kid, I thought it was so funny. I thought it was so funny. Looking back on it, like, it's kind of cheesy, but that's what they do. Okay, you want this Klondike bar? What do I have to do? You've got to act like a chicken. You've got to cluck like a chicken. You've got to act like a monkey. You've got to uh, sing I'm a Little Teapot in your suit in the middle of the city. What do you need to do in order to be saved? I think that's how a lot of us read Romans 10, 9. You heard this before. What does it say? Hey, uh, okay, here it is. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Hey, that's Eve. That's all I have to do? That's it. Okay, so right now, I, I can confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. I'll do that right now. Okay, do it. Jesus is Lord. Confess with my mouth. That's it. I did it, right? Uh, And then what's the other thing? Uh, Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Okay, I'm going to believe in my heart right now. I'm going to believe in my heart. Believe in my heart that God raised this man, Jesus, from the dead. I believe that. There, it's done. Now am I saved? Yeah, that's how a lot of people see this passage. That's all you got to do. Just confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. That's it. And it's done. But what I want to show the nature of saving faith through this passage is that what Paul is talking about is actually a whole lot more robust definition of faith than what I just described and what these ancient uh, commercial jingles said. What would you do? ooh, uh to be saved by God. What do, you, what do you have to do? Three steps of faith that I want to point out here. The first thing, the first step of faith is knowing the truth about the gospel. Okay. You have to know the truth about the gospel. I think a lot of times... Uh, We say, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven because I went to church. Well, what is it that you believe? What is it that your church teaches? I'm not sure. I just know I'm going to go to heaven because I've been going to church. The first thing we have to understand is what is the truth? What are the facts about the gospel? What do we need to know? Okay, here's what a lot of us do. Believe in your heart or confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. We truncate these two and we separate these two things out to say, here's what I need to do. In my, with my mouth, all I need to do is say Jesus is Lord and then in my heart believe that God raised him from the dead. That's all I need to do and I'll be saved. But nowhere in the theology of Paul, nor in the uh, theology of Jesus, nor in the theology of the rest of scripture is there a separation between what your mouth and what your heart confesses. You see, the reason why we think it's so easy, that's all I have to do. Jesus is Lord. I said, I'll do it again. Jesus is Lord. I confess that twice. I'll do that many, many times, and I'll believe in my heart. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Why do we think that's the way it is? Because so often in life, we separate what we say from what we really believe. The last night, uh, pretty, uh, you know, it was a long day, different things that were going on. And, and uh, uh, I got home in uh, about, about 9.30 after the kids went to bed. About 9.30 I went out to uh, this elegant cafe near my house called McDonald's. And, and I was uh, doing some work there, looking over some, some stuff for today. And uh, as I was there, there's probably about 30 high school students um, from, you know, nearby neighborhoods They were there. and They are just having this, like, big party, hanging out at, at McDonald's. I was doing my work, and I was reading over some stuff. I was writing a letter and, and things like that. And, and this elderly lady walks up to me. Okay, So when you think of elderly lady, maybe you have, you probably have one of two pictures in mind. One, you have a nice elderly lady with big white hair, kind of like Barbara Bush, like super sweet, super kind, like a golden girl, very uh, sweet. Uh, like a grandmother coming up to me, that's not the kind of person who came up to me. The kind of person who came up to me was a person who was very uh, tanned. She was a, she was an Anglo-Caucasian uh, lady, but she had been tanned by, and, and just skin looked damaged. by Because of Rodan and Fields, I'm always thinking about skin, but uh, it looked like it had been damaged. She was all wrinkled and, and had glasses. And she uh, <clears throat> walks up to my table, and as she comes up to me, like, all this like smell of cigarette smoke just attacks me. And it just like, it's hitting me. And so I'm doing my work and she says, "Uh, you look like a tech savvy person. And I'm thinking to myself, "Uh, I'm not sure why you would think that way, but I allowed her to carry on. I said, I'm not too tech savvy, but how, how can I help you? And then she proceeded to tell me that she's got this new cell phone, new smartphone. It's like a, uh, a Samsung, or a, I, I don't know what it was, it just wasn't an iPhone, so I had no idea how to work it. <laughs> she said, can you help me with this? Can you help me? I'm trying to get onto the internet. And she's pushing all of the wrong buttons. Why does it keep going to Amazon? Why does it keep going to Audible? I said, first of all, um, is your Wi-Fi on? And she's like, I don't know how to do that. So I went on, I clicked on Wi-Fi, McDonald's free Wi-Fi. And she's like, okay, I, I think I'm on Wi-Fi. So now you have to go into your browser and click on get connected. Right? McDonald's says, get connected. You have to do that. And so she's trying to do that. And she's like, I don't know what, what is my, what is my browser? I said, it's your internet. What do you, how do you get on the internet? She's like, I don't know. I just got this phone. So I say, okay, looks like Chrome is your browser. Let's push that. And she gets it. And so, for I mean, it seemed like forever because it's like getting late, but and we lose an hour of sleep. It was really like five to ten minutes. But she's trying to get me to help her to find a video, a live streaming video of a giraffe named April who's about to give birth to a baby giraffe. Are you kidding me? So then she's like trying to do this and I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know anything because unless it's an iPhone, I don't know what this, you know, I don't know. She's like, I'm not bothering you, am I? So in my heart, this is what I'm believing. First of all, uh, yes, you are bothering me. Thank you very much. Second of all, and I, you know, for Lent, I'm giving up complaining, but it's Sunday, so I can take a break from that. So <laughs> hear me out simply for illustrative purposes. Second of all, a person your age should not be smoking cigarettes. This is terrible for you. Third of all, a person your age should not be getting a first smartphone and it not be an iPhone. <laughs> Fourth of all, yes, you're bothering, but you're bothering me to show me a video of a giraffe that will give birth sometime. It hasn't even given birth. Yet. She's just watching it, just like watching this giraffe. I'm like, you're going to watch this giraffe? It, it, she, she said, it could come out any minute now said how long have you been watching this for a couple days they said it could have been coming out for any minute for the past couple days these are the things that i'm believing in my heart but i said did i say that i said no you're not bothering me you're not bothering me even though there's 30 other people who probably know how to work your phone a lot better than i do you're not bothering me it's all good i'm here to serve you welcome to mcdonald's here you go because here, we have, a, we have a way of separating the things we believe in our heart from the things we confess with our mouths. Right. Oh, honey, it's my day off. Whatever you want to do today, sweetheart, wife, I'll do whatever you want to do. Great, I've got the day all planned out. First, we're going to go to the ballet in the morning, and then we're going to go to this vegan restaurant and eat my favorite meal. And then for dinner, we're going to eat at this vegetarian place, and then we're going to go shopping, and you're going to hold my bag for 10 hours. I didn't really mean whatever you want to do, but that's what we say sometimes. Our mouths and our hearts can be disconnected at times. That's why we think, well, it's that easy just to say Jesus is Lord and to believe that God raised him from the dead. That's it, I'll be saved. That's all I have to do. What would I do to be saved by God? I would easily do that, but that's not what Paul is saying. Because in his understanding, you cannot separate what you're saying with your mouth from what you're believing in your heart. If your mouth is saying it, then your heart is believing. It's another way to read verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Then let's bring these two things together. This is what you need to confess, and this is what you need to believe. These are the facts. Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. So let's Hang out for a second there, and then I want to walk you through, maybe you've heard this before, the Romans' road to salvation. Last week we saw why the world is messed up, that disobedience to God devastated a world that God created good, and all of these evil things came out of that place. I remember, you know, someone got upset that I said the New England Patriots were an evil thing, but uh, all of these bad things came into the world, okay, you remember, and God promised that I will send a Savior. Okay, so what does that look like? Here's the, the, the bad news first. Walking through Romans, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every person who's ever been born, every person who's ever walked this earth has sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. That means that it doesn't matter how good you are compared to other people because that's how we usually look at ourselves. Well, I'm better than her or I'm better than him. What Paul is saying, what Jesus and what all the scripture is saying, that God doesn't grade on a curve. This week, I was talking with, uh, with Elijah. He came home from school, and, and we're driving home. I said, Elijah, how was your day? And he's telling me about the day and all the things he did, the people he played with, what he did on the playground. He said, oh, and daddy. So in Elijah's school, they work on a system where you, each kid, each child is a bucket. And if you do something well, you get a drip in your bucket. So... Oh, you did well. Good job. Okay, Parker, go get a drip. Oh, good job, Sophia. You get a drip in your Go put a drip in your bucket. Elijah, put a drip in your bucket or whomever, you know, take a drip out of your bucket because you did something poorly. So Elijah telling about his day and he said, oh, uh, daddy, today I got a superhero drip. Said Elijah, what is a superhero drip? I didn't really believe such a thing existed. And he said, superhero drip is when you do something extra good. I said, are you sure? How do you get a superhero drip? And this is what he said. Whenever you go above and beyond, (laughs) you get a superhero drip. I guess that's what superheroes do, right? They go above and beyond. So Elijah said, "Uh, you go above and beyond, you get a superhero drip. I said, "So, so Elijah, did you go above and beyond? He said, yes. I said, what did you do to go above and beyond? He said, when everybody else cleaned up, I kept on cleaning up when everybody else was done. And my teacher saw it, and she gave me a superhero drip. I said, Uncle Eugene is the captain of our cleaning team at church. If you want to join that team, you can talk to him. (laughs) But that's how he sees life. I did better compared to all of these other people. Therefore, I get a superhero drip. That's not how God works. He doesn't say, oh, my gosh, you're really good compared to somebody else or you've been going to church longer than somebody else. It says, for all have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It gets worse. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And we saw that last week in Genesis. Because of sin, death entered into the world as the pinnacle of evils, and every single one of us will die. He doesn't take an astute mathematician or a statistics major to understand that the chance of you and the chance of me dying one day is 100%. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes to get us before that. But every single one of us has a date with destiny and an appointment divinely orchestrated by God with death. And the question is, well, when will that be? Not a question of if, it's a question of when. But the news begins to get good in that second part of Romans 6.23 when it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we are, we all deserve death, but God has given us a gift that it is possible for us to avoid death somehow. How? Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died us. Like, that's not just saying, "Hey, when you didn't love God, He died." say like, "He died for us, meaning that He took our place. In, in, in 1987, uh, Northwest Airlines, right? There was this famous uh, they were leaving flight 225, leaving Detroit, going to John Wayne Airport in Southern California. I don't know if you remember this. An airport uh, at the airport, a plane took off, and within 20 seconds, the plane hit a couple things, and it crashed. And 155 people died. One survivor. Four-year-old girl named Cecilia. She's now 29 years old. There's documentaries about her. I don't know if she's 29. She might, when I read the article, she was 29. One survivor. And it confounded everybody. Why did everybody die except for this one little girl named Cecilia? And they started putting the pieces together and they said when the plane started going into turmoil and everybody knew the plane was going to crash and all on board would probably be severely injured if not killed. Her mother took off her seatbelt and she wrapped her body around her daughter and she wrapped her legs around her and created a shield over her body so that the impact of the collision fell squarely on her mother so that Cecilia could live and be safe. On that plane, 156 people should have died. But one lived because a gift of a sacrifice of another. She didn't just look at her and say, we're going to die, Cecilia, I love you. But she demonstrated her love in giving her life for the one that she loved. What Christ has done, infinitely greater, because we were not his kids, we were not his friends. While we were his enemy, Christ died in our place so that when we believe, we can live. So how does that happen? The last step in the Romans road brings us to Romans 9 and 10, that if you, believe, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So here's what that means. Let's bring that together. For you to say, Jesus is Lord, the, word he, the Greek word is kurios, which the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's that same word that is used for the divine name of God in Joel 2.32. What is it saying? He's saying, here's your confession. It's not that Jesus is Lord alone. You think saying, Jesus yeah, is your master, but Jesus is also God. That's what you're saying. This is what you're confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, that Jesus Christ, who walked this earth, is God. And he's my master. But the other thing, it says that God raised him from the dead. What does that mean? If God raised him from the dead, it means that Jesus died. And if Jesus died, it means that he was fully man. You put all these things together. What do you have to believe? What do you have to know? What do you have to know about the gospel? That Jesus Christ came into this world fully God, fully man, born of a virgin. He lived the life you and I should have lived but failed. And then on the cross, he died the death that we should have died, but God raised him from the dead on the third day so that we who hope in him and trust in him will have life. These are the things that are absolutely essential to our understanding of the Christian faith. These facts in and of themselves do not save us, but apart from the knowledge of these facts, we won't be saved because faith is not just a blind faith, I'm going to go to heaven but you have to believe in something. And the first step of saving faith <clears throat> is believing and trusting, is knowing the truth of the gospel. Okay, this is the first step. The second step to saving faith is being convinced that the gospel is truth for you. Right? It's true for you. It's personally true. That is your truth. When I was in about ninth grade, I was, I remember being at a retreat. I was at a youth retreat in my home church. It was a winter retreat. It was very cold outside. And, and, and one night, I remember it was just a, you know, was a worship service at night. And then we were just hanging out. And my best friend at the time, a guy named Chris, comes running up to me. He's like, David, David. He, had, he was so full of joy, so full of excitement. And he said, Hey, have you ever put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord? And in my mind, I was like, Well, I think I know what that means. I believe that Jesus, I believe in all those things. I said, Jesus, God, he's man, he died, he rose again. I believe that. And I said, yeah, I did. I did it like when I was in sixth grade. And he was so full of joy and he was giving me a hug. He's like, I'm so happy for you. You beat me to it because tonight I gave my life to Jesus. Tonight my life was changed and he was so excited that his life had been changed and he was so excited that I told him that my life had been changed. But in reality... I was not rejoicing. In fact, I was very annoyed. Because when I looked at my friend, I saw in him something that I never had. That I had never experienced. I never had this kind of joy. I want to go and I want to tell the world. I want to hug all of my friends that know this message. I, I never had that. And so I wrestled because I grew up in church. I went to every VBS I was ever offered in our church. I went to every Sunday school. I never missed a day of church. Even if I was dying of chicken pox, my parents made me go. And I never missed. I knew all of these things, but I never had that kind of joy that would make me run from the worship room down to where my friend was and say, did you already put your trust in Christ? I never had that kind of joy. And years later, looking back, I realized it's because I acknowledged and I knew the truth, the facts of the gospel. But I didn't personally have that conviction. I wasn't convinced that it was true for me. It's not just enough for you to be able to go to somebody and tell them, yeah, this is what the Bible says. We do this in missions training all the time. Just share the gospel with somebody, and it's easy. We can get up there, we can say the four spiritual laws, we can talk about your most important relationship, we can talk about the road to salvation, but I fear that a lot of us who know the facts so well have a difficult time believing that that's true for us. Because if it were true, then our lives would be different. Our lives would show the reality of the gospel. Our lives would be desperate to tell people that there's a God who lives and he changed my life. It's not enough to say saving faith is about knowing the facts. It's about being utterly and absolutely convinced in your heart that it is true, not for everybody, but that it's true for you as well. You could see the before and after pictures of that dude who was like 600 pounds and then he went on Weight Watchers or Nutrisystem or whatever. And now he's like 250 pounds. You say, wow, that really works. You could see the before and after pictures of somebody who had whatever illness and and, and skin issue or whatever the the challenge is. And and they went on this new regimen, this new system, this new diet, and and their lives are completely changed. You could say, man, dude, that stuff really works. It's true. It really is true. But then when somebody says, hey, you want to go on this with me? You want to try this with me? Uh, You know what? I, I don't think it's for me, though. I see that it works for them, it works for all these other people, but I don't think it could work for me. I think a lot of people who grow up in churches, who come to churches, are like that. We can communicate and articulate what it is that a church, our church, my church, this church believes, but we haven't had that personal conviction in our hearts that is true for me, that has changed my life. Jesus says in Matthew 7, there'll be many on that day who say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? And you will say, I never knew you because we weren't personally convinced in our hearts that Jesus came for me. Not just for God so loved the world, but for God so loved you, that God so loves you. Sujin that God so loves Brian the God so loves Josh the God so loves Kong that he so, he loves me and I know that it's true I'm convinced that it's true When uh, my son was in love with a TV show called Paw Patrol that came out on Nickelodeon Junior uh, I signed up for this kids club on Nick Jr so that on Elijah's birthday his favorite Paw Patrol character would call my cell phone and would wish him a happy birthday so you know, it's it's silly because it's so off, it's so painfully awkward for a parent to hear this because you know it's fake. It's not really chase the dog calling, but you know, you, you go and enter the, the boy's name, child's name, and the birthday and what's the best time to call and phone number. So they said, Elijah, today's your birthday. I think someone special might call you. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Someone might call you, Elijah. Okay, so make sure you're near daddy. Elijah, it's, or 8.44, in one minute, someone might call you, Elijah, someone might call you. How do you know, daddy? 8.45, the phone (laughs) rings, put it on speaker. Hello, David Kim. (laughs) This is Chase from Paw Patrol calling. Is this a good time to talk to Elijah? (laughs) Yes. Can you put, elijah on the phone elijah gets on the phone and all of a sudden hey elijah it's me chase your friend i wanted to wish you a happy birthday and elijah's like what (laughs) how does he know me he called for me are you happy elijah yes (laughs) he's like so confused because in this moment Chase became someone who's out there for everybody to see to somebody that called him personally, and he knew him by name. Chase called me. And throughout the Bible, you see in the Gospels, Jesus calling individuals. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I see you. Mary, it's me. Rabboni. Matthew, come, follow me. I know everything about you. I know your past. I know your indiscretions. I know your sins. I know your shame, but I still, you hear this. Satan knows all that stuff, our past, our shame, our sin, and he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows all of our sin and shame and all that stuff, but he calls us by our name. He says, I see you. And he calls you by name. You believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus, for God, didn't love the world only, but he loved you. And if you're the only person left on earth and the Savior had not yet come, that God still would have sent his son to die for only you. Like this is God's love. An infinite love doesn't matter how many people it is. Doesn't matter how few people it is. Infinite love will be infinitely loving even if there's just one person. And if you're the only person ever to be born in this world and you had fallen into sin, God still would have sent his son, Jesus, to die for only you. Who would do that? Only Jesus. He loves you as if you're the only one in this world to love. And you have to be completely convinced in your heart that Jesus did that for you. The second step of saving faith. The last step of saving faith, the third step then, is surrendering to the Lord of the gospel. Surrendering to the Lord of the gospel. We can know the facts. We can even believe it in our hearts. But it doesn't become saving faith until we take that step of faith. It's Like the chairs that you're sitting in, you know that they can hold you up. You know the facts. You believe it. But unless you sit in it, you're not going to experience the benefits of it. Couple of weeks, a uh, couple of weeks ago, I was outside on our uh, on our patio with uh, with Elise, our youngest daughter. we were just hanging out. She was just woken up from a nap. Olivia had gone to pick up uh, Manny and Elijah, and so we're just holding Elise as she was she had been crying. And so we went outside and we're rocking on this little swing in front of our house. And this uh, this girl is walking door to door. She's got this green polo shirt, and she comes up to us and she's like, "Oh, Chipper." She's like, "Hello. Well, I'm here to." tell you about such and such. My name is Charlotte. What's your name? You must be the homeowner. I said, yeah, my name is David. This is Elise. And I said, Elise, you want to say hi to Charlotte? And she's like, no, I don't want to because I just woke up. And so I said, what's going on? And she said, well, as you can see by my name tag here, I'm working with a group called, uh, what was it called? CenturyLink or, or, yeah, CenturyLink. And I'm trying to see if you're satisfied with your current internet service. I said, I'm not, and you guys are a provider. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I said, uh, (laughs) I said, actually, we are. Uh, we, you are our provider. Uh, said, how about your phone? Uh, yeah, we don't have phones. We're like kind of, you know, we, we don't really use phones except our cell phones. Do you have AT&T? No, we have Verizon. Oh, okay, we can, uh, are you satisfied with their TV service? I said, uh, I'm satisfied with everything about our TV service, but um, I, I, I could, you know, I, you know, if you're gonna put a little bit of money in my pocket, I would be consider, open to considering what you have to say. She said, okay, well, CenturyLink just started a new program called Prism in your neighborhood, and then uh, she started going through the facts. She's like, what TV shows do you watch? I said, I watch, uh, well, not me, but my kids watch like uh, Paw Patrol and Sophia the First, and I watch basically ESPN, and my wa- wife watches uh, uh, these cooking shows, and we like to watch a sitcom here and there. I said, okay, um, we can offer you these same channels, and they're in high definition, and uh, we can set it up for DVR and we can do all this stuff. And I basically uh, started asking her all of these questions. I wanted to get the facts. I want to get the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Thank you very much. And so I said, is this, you know, it, it, can, you, can you beat this? This is what I'm paying. Can you, can you beat the price? And she said, yeah, I think uh, we can beat it by about $40, $40 a month. And I said, are you sure? Because my current company said that they could do that. And then After, like, a few months, the price, like, skyrockets. I have to call in and wait in line and all these things. She said, no, we we will guarantee this price for two years. I said, well, what's the uh, activation fee? No activation fee. What's the installation? What's all these fees? And no hidden fees, nothing. This is all you'll ever pay. I said, that's very interesting. I'm beginning to understand the facts of what you're trying to tell me, and this is indeed good news. This is gospel in a sense. So she said, so... (laughs) when would you like for me to schedule your installation? I said, oh, I'm not quite sure about that yet because it sounds really good on paper, but I'm not sure that this is for me. I said, can you wait a second? And she said, sure. It was like really hot outside and she's sweating, but she's willing to wait. I walked inside and I, I got my phone and I, I wrote on our, our next door app, our neighborhood app. I said, does anyone have any experience with Century Link Prism TV? Is it any good? Because I'm not sure. And then people started pinging back and they said, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. really good. And so I came back and I said, you know what? I think I'm personally convinced that this might be for me. Understanding the facts, I've taken that second step of so faith. All you've got to do, Mr. Kim, is sign on the dotted line. Here you go. And I was like, hmm, but I'm not, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure because I understand everything that you're saying and it sounds like good news, I'm going to save money and all of this stuff is going to happen, but I know that once I sign on that dotted line, that everything changes. Not only do I get your Prism TV, but here's what it's saying. I'm a pretty loyal guy and after six years of my current company, it means I'm going to be saying goodbye decisively to my old TV company. And all that that means all the shows that we DVR'd on it, the movies that we DVR'd that we've never been able to watch, all that stuff is going to be gone as soon as I sign on that dotted line. And so I had to think about it, because once I did that, I was crossing the line, saying goodbye to my old provider. And so I did, and I said, I'm ready to take this step. The old is gone, and the new has come. Thank you for introducing me to this brand new world. And The last step in saving faith, right? Every salesman knows is when you seal the deal, you shake the hand, you sign on the dotted line and you cross over the line in the sand. The African-Americans say, once you get married, you jump the broom, it's over, you're done. You're not going back to that old life. The last thing that Paul is saying here, the final step of saving faith is that you surrender to the Lord of the gospel. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I think my life is not my own anymore. Galatians 2:20 says, "Once I put my trust in Christ, here's what I'm saying, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me." Think it's death to the old me. Everything that I am up until this point in time is gone. It's no longer me, no longer my dreams, no longer my own. I'm not in control of my life. I'm not in control of where I go, what I do, who I hang out with. My life belongs to Jesus. I've signed my name on the line, and it's over. I've crossed the line, and my life can no longer be the same. That's the final step in saving faith. And if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, no matter what we may. See, here's why this is so significant to the people of the Roman times. You could go around and you could say anybody is God because the Roman Empire was predicated upon this pantheon of gods. Anybody could be. You could say Jesus is God all you want, but as soon as you say Jesus is Lord, you invoke the ire and the rage of the Roman leadership because in their minds, anybody can be God, but only Caesar is Lord. In fact, that was the confession, like the pledge of allegiance to the Roman Empire was Caesar is God. Lord. So what Paul is saying is you have decisively crossed the Rubicon and you're saying my life is forever surrendered to Jesus Christ. I will no longer be the same again. And I'm surrendering all that I am to him. I belong to him. He's my Lord and I'm his servant. That's what Jesus, I'm sorry, that's what it means to say Jesus is Lord in those days in the Roman Empire when children of believers were taken and were dressed up as animals, and if they survived the elements at night, they were fed to wild animals, that they were the ones who were dressed up as animals and put in the amphitheater to be gored by animals for sport because the people of God were that despised as a group of traitors in that nation, in that kingdom. And so for them, anytime somebody said, I'm stepping over the line. They've put one foot in their grave, ready to meet their maker. It's why the early Christian missionaries to the foreign lands would pack their belongings, not in suitcases or bags, but in coffins because they knew that they would die there. It's why men and women of faith have given their lives for the sake of this gospel because they realize, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, should die for me? If you would do that, then what sacrifice that I ever make could be considered to be too much for me to offer to you? I think Jesus cannot be your savior if you are not walking with him in, de- in devotion that he would become your Lord. You can't separate these two and in, 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 in the same way you cannot separate what your mouth says from what your heart believes. I think this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's what it means when our, our brothers and sisters throughout uh, nations and lands like our own family member, Reverend uh, Hyunsoo Lim in, in North Korea, going forth with the gospel into places like North Korea, being captured and being jailed, sentenced to life in prison. Why? Because he believes that the gospel is worth it. Because I have been surrendered to Jesus. He's my Lord. And wherever he calls me, I will go. And the history of the church has been built upon this kind of faith. Not the kind of faith that says, I believe, but at the first sign of difficulty, I'm going to run. But the kind of faith that says, at the first sign of difficulty, my Savior stayed. And he hung on a cross for the forgiveness of sins for every sinner who would put their trust in Jesus. This is the good news. You believe the facts. You believe that you're convinced that it's for you. And then you say, you are my Lord. He says, this is what it means to be saved. If You have not yet put your trust in this Jesus. What are you waiting for? Today's your day. Today's your day. And if you have, there are people in our lives who haven't. The gospel has been entrusted to us to be a steward so that those who don't know would come to hear that message through us. Though we may be mocked and ridiculed and scorned and even beaten and jeered, we go, because there was one who went and came to us in that same way, beaten and mocked and ridiculed and jeered and scorned, so that we might have life, have it in abundance. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Can we pray? Let's examine our hearts this morning. We're in the second Sunday of Lent. We have six Sundays here. God sent his son, Jesus, at the end of the six week period, the day we remember as Good Friday, God sent his son to die in love for the sins of the world. Many of us know the facts. Many of us may also believe that it's true for us. But not all of us have stepped over the line and said, Jesus, be my Lord, be my King, be my Master. Lord, I need you. As we pray this morning, can you take a moment to really examine your heart? Is there evidence, the fruit is the test because the root always determines the fruit if your root the sinful root has been uprooted and Christ lives in you there will be fruit of a new life Jesus said a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit the fruit of your life if your ten closest friends asked you do you know Jesus what would your ten closest friends say If your desire is not for Jesus to increasingly become Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all in your life. But if every time you sin, you feel the guilt and the call to come back to a Savior, it's a good sign that the Spirit of God is working in your life as a child of God. But if our hearts have not been surrendered to Jesus to be our Lord and our Master, Hey today's your day. We all have a date with death. We'll all stand before our maker and Hebrews 9:27 says every one of us will die just one time. No reincarnation, just once. And after that, we'll face judgment. We can either allow the judgment to fall on us because we did not live the perfect life that was required. Or we can believe that Jesus Christ took our judgment and it fell on him. He can become our substitute when we say I believe you did that for me. Let's pray for a couple moments right now in our own. Oh, just talk to God. Talk to God. If you're not sure, God, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If you are sure, then pray. Pray for other people don't know the Lord. If you know you're not in that place where you you know in your heart that you don't know Jesus, you don't know what you'd say to God if you stand before him in heaven, tell them that God I don't know what I'll say I need you I need help help me help me to understand help me to believe this so I want to give us a minute or two to pray on our own and after maybe two minutes of just talking to God on our own bringing before whatever is in your heart just bringing that before God I'm going to give an invitation to just pray with me a prayer of surrender to the Lord To say God I need you in my life I'm stepping over that line I need your help so let's pray for a couple minutes right now. It's in our own ways. Quietly you can pray. You can pray out loud, but let's be honest with God. He sees everything. Just be honest. What are your fears? I think I'm too bad. I think I've, I've done too many awful things. I don't think you can forgive me. Just bring those before God. He'll meet you where you are right now. Let's pray together for a couple. the the biblical truth that once you've put your trust in Christ once you're saved by God you're always going to be saved by God Jesus says in the gospel of John no one can snatch them from my father's hand but here's the other reality some of us maybe we thought we had put our trust in Christ but the fruit of our lives shows that maybe we haven't maybe we weren't we never crossed that line today I want to just give this invitation as we continue to pray your heart of hearts if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God it's the only two people that matter here in this place right now you know in your hearts hey you know what I think I I know the facts I know the truth of the gospel I really believe it's true in my heart I really believe that Jesus died for me forgive me of my sins but I haven't taken that step of faith Taking that step of faith to say, yeah, I'm going to put my trust. I'm going to leap into the arms of a Savior. That's you. I just want to encourage you. I just want to ask you. Let's not, uh, yeah, let's not linger. Let's not dilly-dally until, oh, I'm older. Until I'm in a better place. Until I have more of this or that. None of those days are guaranteed to us you feel in your heart you know what I need Jesus in my life I want to I want to have saving faith through what Christ has done for me that's you I just want to invite you to raise your hand where you are I'm not even gonna that's you just as a sign of your own faith I need Jesus in my life praise God there's folks who are raising their hands right now thank you Jesus need the Lord in my life, I need a Savior i want to take that step saving faith in Christ I want to give my life to Him yeah. praise God these folks who are responding to the call of God I know, you know, we're all in, in different places right now, but I want to invite us to pray yeah. you know, at some point I, I, I know that we give these invitations and will say you know what uh, DL I, I didn't raise my hand but I did pray that prayer which is great you know and praise God for that but at a certain point in time the Lord God calls us see, from the get go don't let your light hide under a barrel up under a, a bowl come out and let your light shine because your profession of faith could be the very means by which others come to the saving knowledge of Jesus I'm just going to pray over us and ask that you personalize this prayer make it your own father in heaven i acknowledge that i have disobeyed you knowingly or unknowingly and there have been devastating results to me to others maybe even to those i don't even know thank you that you sent a savior not just anyone but your one and only your beloved son Born of a virgin, man, God lived the perfect life and died on the cross. I believe these things to be true. I believe that not only did He die on the cross, but He died for me. And that if I were the only one in this earth, God still would have sent Jesus to die for me. Thank you that you would love me at that cost. So now I cross that line. I say, be my Savior, but also be my Lord. Change me from the inside out. Help me to be the person you want me to be so that my life will be a powerful declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God, our Father. Thank you so much. I love you because you've loved me first. Father, be with all of us as we seek after you, whether we know you or we don't. Pray that this gospel would resonate deeply within us so that in us we would first come to know you personally and that through us many people would hear the hope of Christ and come to the saving knowledge of our Savior as well. Thank you so much. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.